All right, I am so excited uh, to welcome back today's uh, special guest. If you were here in February, uh, we had an event with uh, Dr. Hertig and Barry Taylor and Doug Padgett, and I thought, oh my goodness, I have to get Dr. Hertig back here to preach at some point. So um, she has uh, co-founded co -founded Isaac um, and also teaches at Azusa Pacific and uh, has taught formerly at Fuller uh, Theological Seminary where, where I went to school and where Ryan studied. And um, yeah, let's give her a big Mission Hills welcome. Thank you for being here, Dr. Hertig. Today is Mother Earth Day. According to UK report, one million plastic bottles per minute around the globe. One million plastic bottle that doesn't biodegrade. So we are in a crisis. I gasp for an air whenever I go to Costco and people just load up their humongous cart with amazing amount of plastic water bottle. Where today's message comes from, hanging out at the well. Water is sacred. And I didn't have to think twice when I used to drink water, whether it's safe who knows what's in the plastic bottle? Do you know that it's safer to just drink tap water? Because you, know, you don't know how long it's been sitting on the shelf. And fishes, male fishes are getting pregnant because the stuff in plastic changes hormones. So we're living in a very precarious moment, but I want to give you good news today, though. I don't want to give you all the bad news. We are bombarded with it every day. So let me start with what it entails to when you dare to cross boundaries, cultural boundaries, because you sometimes share less assumptions you only see one-tenth of the iceberg. You do not understand sometimes nine-tenths below the water. So I come from Korea because I questioned God, and they were not about to entertain my questions. I somehow didn't like packaged Christianity spewing out from the masculine pulpit, male-only pulpit. And when I raise that question, you get frowned upon. But I knew this is not God that I relate to. So I landed in St. Paul, Minnesota and I th at the age of 27, and I thought, God, are you calling me? to be single the rest of my life. <laughs> so you're gonna be my husband. 
and God had different plan. Ran into curly hair, Arthur Garfunkel like <laughs> men showing up from man's locker room and I used up all my money to go to back then Campus Crusade staff retreat in Colorado. In Korea, Campus Crusade was more gender friendly. So it did all the million people gathering. I'm from that generation and I thought there's got to be something more than this. So this man asked me, I was a TA for systematic theologian, Clarence Bass at Bethel Theological Seminary. And he led the tour of uh, Holy Land tour, Israel. And part of TA's job was stuffing his brochures and systematic theology notebook. And he p set up a table, an old ping pong table beneath man's locker room next to rocket ball court. My soon-to-be husband, Paul, was visiting my campus to raise, you know, missionary funds from his college roommate, who was my classmate. So I looked up when he asked, is this your office? And I said, yes. And conversation went on, and we knew a bunch of people in common. I even met his um, Campus Crusade headquarter roommate back in San Bernardino. But anyways, he said he was heading for Korea as a missionary, and I said, do we need missionaries? <laughs> <laughs> and he was to report back spiritual activities happening in East Asia including China, Philippines, and Korea, and Japan, and you name it. And we're talking about 1981. Now you can guess my age, forget it. <laughs> so, back then, there are more my own car phenomenon today in Seoul. But the crowded bus he took on every day and um, one of his first week, he hopped onto the bus when other missionaries were driving their own car. And somebody was grabbing his shoulder back. And then because it's so crowded, you don't see the face of the person, you know, pulling your ba shoulder back. And he said, I thought this is a sort of a t more than 30% Christian nation. Somebody's stealing my stuff before my eyes. So he held tighter. The stronger the other person pulled, tighter he held onto his, my possession, right? So he thought that was very, very weird and went to the office and asked Korean people what happened. And they would just burst into laughter. It's a hospitality, dude. Those who are sitting down in the crowded bus want to accommodate those who are standing with a heavy luggage or heavy bag, and they put it on their lap. So what's perceived as stealing translates locally into hospitality. <laughs> this kind of Messy journey takes place when you cross 
the boundaries. When you don't even speak the language and you go there as a missionary, believe me, <laughs> but he went there as a learner. Well, what I don't assimilate to American culture, I consider it as a taboo, is don't talk about politics, don't talk about money, don't talk about sex. Don't we have all those three problems? I find European more refreshing. You can, you just meet somebody and you can talk about Bush and you know, you name it. You can debate. We debate across differences and growing up and as a college student, we debated to death, 2 a.m. Why do you believe that way and I believe this way and we counter punch and punch back and forth. That's what learning is about. Jesus was hanging out in a space where Jews do not enter. You know, I'm not gonna go into American history, spatial segregation that this noble country <laughs> historically practiced, which Hitler mimicked the relocation of Native Americans, and Hitler got that idea from here. So when, what happens when we do not engage and when we do not talk, cross-talk? When you are only talking to people you agree with, when you only hang out homogeneously with people who look like you, everybody becomes losers. One of the cultural anthropologists said, if you only know one culture, you don't even know that one culture. So believe me, encountering and spending time and sitting at the lunchroom with unlikely people will, will be a great learning experience. You learn a lot about yourself. I find it hilarious when Jesus was hanging out with a woman who thought she was the tail end of tail end. You, don't want, you would rather be the head of a shrimp than the tail of an elephant. Does elephant have a tail? I don't know. Dog has tail. <laughs> But how do we engage authentic dialogue when the playing field is not even? Jesus was Jesus, and he was a Jew, not Samaritan. The Samaritan woman was even so ashamed of who she was because everybody shoved tape onto her and say, you are no good. I even heard, I walked out of one worship service when the preacher preached, she's a prostitute. And I'm going, she's pre prettier than Elizabeth Taylor. Back then, only men had the right to divorce. Can you imagine her getting five rebounds? 
I've got many beautiful young adults at APU who cannot even find one man to date. This woman found five husbands. So she's not no prostitute. She's a theologian. But there's an amazing uh, prerequisite in dialogue, communication 101. For any communication to be authentic, the plain, leveling the playing field is a must. How does Jesus do that? Can you give me a drink? Can you give me a drink? Don't take this sentence lightly. Unless you are so comfortable under your skin, you don't ask somebody who seems to be the lowest in the totem or totem pole. By her response, you can see how earth-shattering that begging was. How can you ask me for a drink? Do you get it? Neil Diamond's song like, you know my generation. <laughs> I am the moon, you are the sun, you know, I don't know. You mean you are a man, I am a woman, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Man and woman don't talk, but on top of that, you are a Jewish man who look like a rabbi. Sexism, classism, racism, religious bigotry, all of that melted away when Jesus treated her as somebody who has something to offer to Jesus. Do you go to mission field to be helped? Mind you, to help. Even when you go to a land where you're an outsider, North American assumes that we have something to help. There's a helping syndrome. Oh, come on, go and learn, is what I say. When you don't know the others, learn about them, with them, before you declare, I have something to help. Jesus turned this dynamic upside down here by the woman's response. You must be crazy. You know, I'm not even regular, ordinary Samaritan woman. I come out to draw water when nobody's around. Nobody wants to deal with me. Nobody connects with me. I'm shunned. But Jesus restores how she, too, reflects the image of God. A lot of our attempted communication fail because there's a power inequality. When the playing field is even, when you engage on equal basis, 
you have life-changing experiences. And I'm sorry, I have to say today, in this culture of digital revolution, people have more intimate relationship. I love my Suri. And I see their face and they love machine better than human being. Seriously. Robotization is threatening humanity. I don't answer my phone anymore. All robocalls. In this context, what does this ancient text teaches us? Without this kind of encounters and dialogical engagement, people go sick. That's not how God created us. No wonder 35 million American people are on antidepressant. I love students who shout at me rather than being passive aggressive. If you don't like this textbook, by the way, finally succeeded. I wrapped up my class last Wednesday night, and it's amazing. After struggling, and those photos, drawings, uh, are my illustration. You don't change without any struggle. They all bought these Pentecostal, Latino, African-American students. They all bought, in their final paper, the planet is God's body. Sally McVeigh. Not to be conquered and trampled upon, but when you name Mother Earth, the planet as God's body, are you going to step on and assault? Somebody needs to hear this, right, today, EPA. So that was extraordinary rewarding. But you know what? One of the notable signs of dysfunction in this culture that I sometimes step out and look, sugar-coated. I please, therefore I am. Even if you don't mean, pretend that you agree with the other person. Don't offend. You know what? Gospel was so offensive to the culture of the day. Jesus was so offensive, radically offensive. We are not in a people-pleasing business, folks. When you don't do tough talk, tough conversation across differences, we have to swallow antidepressant. One of the research by uh, University of Notre Dame in Indiana, I highly recommend that you read that, you read that, called Flourishing in Ministry. And one of the ingredients in Factors of flourishing in your life and flourishing in your ministry is being authentic. Being an authentic human being. And the fit of who you are, what you believe, with the congregation you serve. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. I think when you pretend 
and live life with somebody else's blueprint just to be popular and to be liked. Of course you have to swallow pills. So there's a trial and error going on between are you greater than our ancestor Jacob as you are sitting at the Jacob's well? A woman knows the history. No, 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 no. And it's like a dance. Jesus begins by asking, can you give me a drink? And then by the time after trial and error, Jesus kept on preaching about <laughs> the living water. The water I'll give you will never make you thirsty again. So for utilitarian sake, purpose, she said, can I get that water? It's like a dance. It begins with a Jesus asking woman, can you give me a drink? And after a few trials, now she approaches Jesus and say, can you give me that water? so that I don't have to keep coming out here in the sun and draw water. This dialogue is hilarious, so un-American. <laughs> you don't ask private information when you just met a stranger, right? Jesus breaks all of that. Bring your husband. It doesn't make any sense according to American culture. And she finally got it, and she said, can I get that water? And Jesus goes, bring your husband. Do you get it? <laughs> and then she cop out, and she says, no, I don't have any. And Jesus affirms, you are right, and you are right twice. In fact, the one you have now is not your hubby either. Deep stuff. Who said you cannot talk about politics, sex, and money, and <laughs> your private life? <laughs> There's no boundary between public and private. Get cuts right through her core. That's beautiful. And then, you look at disciples who went to buy McDonald's hamburger and comes back. The power of denial in the world of fake news today, truth backlash in America, the denial, human denial is so powerful. When you witness something shocking, I didn't see, I didn't hear. Do they, do disciples, all male disciples, do they engage? No, they act like Americans in general. <laughs> they do not engage. But what is their question? Did he eat? Did he eat? They were obsessing hamburgers they brought to go for Jesus. Did he eat? And it's beautiful. After woman at the well story in John 4, Jesus claims to his disciple, I am the bread of life. 
because they were obsessed with the bread. <laughs> I am the bread of life. How, how do you make sense? Woman who was so timid, lowest self-image, <laughs> who come out in public space when nobody else is around, and after the encounter with Jesus, she runs out to the village and she proclaims, I must have met the rabbi and witness the first evangelist. So let me ask you a question. It, is it because only Jesus was dialoguing with this woman at the well? We as Christians, mm -mm, we cannot do that, right? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. As the body of Christ, all different parts playing their God-given role and woven into the whole wholeness. So in order to impart with you the process of transformation, Jesus changed my life. You, as a body of Christ, can engage counterculturally. Please be countercultural when it comes to communication code 101. Thy shall not offend. Thy shall not talk across differences, politics. Why do you think we remain polarized? Because we do not cross talk in fear of offending. Can you all shout out loud? The gospel is offensive. One, two, three. The gospel is offensive. If you're not offended by that, you're not being transformed. Amen to that? Yeah, but we are so obsessed, the sugar coat. No wonder sugar consumption in America is number one. I mean, I had to go through cross-cultural shock with my roommate when I landed. She serves me sweetened rice, and I said, we don't sweeten rice. <laughs> what is it called? Some kind of sugary rice. So I didn't eat, but that's an action point, an application. I don't want to just talk about Jesus' encounter with a woman. What? One of the fuller MDiv student of mine in the 90s, he drew all of these. And this sums up my message this morning based on John 4. What do you see? I know you're interactive body. <laughs> One uh, kindergartner said, I see hamburger. <laughs> Very creative. Usually in a teaching setting, not preaching setting. This is the first time I'm showing during my preaching, and my time is coming up soon, right? So I'm going to just give you answer that I love. There's no right or wrong answer. Talk about creativity. The most creative cohort I taught started rearranging the order. 
The most rigid ones, they don't think they have permission to rearrange, so they go by the rule. It's about how do I see myself redeemed by Jesus, transformed by the Holy Spirit? If you don't evolve and edit how you view yourself, you're stuck. So you have to swallow a pill. Life is exciting to live because you can edit. You know what, I come from very heavy duty, shame-based culture and I thought, this is strange. This doesn't help anybody, this doesn't benefit anybody, so I don't have shame. I only have good shame. We can do that. So the best answer that I got is when you look at yourself from this way, this close, you do not see any shape. Therefore, foggy. But when you see yourself a little bit backstep and see yourself from a little bit of distance, ah, I see footprints. And when you see footprints, you begin to see the tail. And when you see the tail, <laughs> whoa, I am a cow. I didn't know that I'm a cow. <laughs> So when you identify the whole picture, that's aha moment. That's what they call enlightenment. But once you see the whole picture and the shape, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna just bury it? Or are you gonna tackle that? But when you try to tackle it, something you have never done before, there's a humongous resistance. You know, resistance is a sign that you are being stretched and you are learning. If you don't give yourself permission to resist, you are not learning. I love when my students resist me because that gives me clue. They are being challenged left and right. But there are many other ways of tackling the issue we've been dealing with all of our life. Creativity is the key. You don't have to do one way, seesaw. You know what? When you ride the problem you've been dealing with and when you play flute, resistance subside and you and the problem become one. And that's when transformation takes place. And, ah, oh, I've been heading for the wrong direction. And you are changing the direction. And then you become one with whatever that's been plaguing you and alienating you. And these were the processes I see in John 4. But friends, the good news is, even in that shapeless, formless, tohu-babohu state, 
there is a light and darkness. And even here, there's light and darkness. The oneness. I'm excited how the gospel is offensive enough to transform our lives. And we all suffer from confirmation bias, which means we only see what we believe already in our head. So I'm going to leave you with theology of coffee bean. This comes from Papua New Guinea. Student of mine brought it from her homestay in Papua New Guinea about 10 years ago. A daughter of the, her homestay came home weeping one day. And the mother grabbed teen daughter, crying daughter, her hand and took her to the kitchen. And she started boiling water in a big pot. And she took out carrot, she took out egg, and she took out coffee bean. And she said, daughter, put this carrot in the boiling pot. What happens? You take them out, wrinkled carrot, right? <laughs> you put the egg in the boiling pot, what happens to the egg? Hard-boiled egg. But you put coffee bean into the boiling hot water, what happens to the steaming hot water? It changes the water. There's an amazing, amazing power in the way we perceive our reality. There's always a way when we believe that we can. That's the theology of coffee bean. That's what Jesus offered woman who was isolated and alienated and miserable and helped her to become her optimal self. Friends, this is the good news. No matter where you are in your journey, change is possible. Change for the better is possible. Change in the way we connect rather than disconnect Christianity from the rest of the creation and the planet Earth, God's body. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your radical and offensive love that transforms all of our fixation and obsession. We pray that your message today would loosen us and liberate us from whatever we are holding on to and help us to let go. That's tagging our hearts in a toxic way. Detoxing us, oh God, so that we may be your good news, not only to ourselves, but to our neighbors and to your body, Mother Earth. In your name we pray.
Oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. Riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever reign. Let's stand and sing this one last time. You are more, you are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord. All creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here. In your presence I'm made whole. You are God, you are God. Of all else I'm letting go. Oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever My heart will sing no other name. Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing no other name. Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing. My heart will sing.